You're tuning in to the North Wind Podcast. My name is Justin Van Hoff, the editor-in-chief for the North Wind, and I'm joined by fellow editors Peter Smedley, the features editor, and Travis Nelson, the sports editor. This week, as we thought spring was closely approaching, we were <laughs> very wrong as we woke up to five inches of snow and our, our cars covered. Um, and on top of that, we had a lot of interesting stories to go on this week as well. Um, from a COVID grief speaker series to student artwork um, being showcased uh, in the community and a tough loss this past weekend for Wildcat hockey. First, we'll, we'll start jumping into the news portion. So as I mentioned, uh, the first uh, article we have here is, is about the COVID grief speaker series. So this is a, a speaker series that's co-hosted by the Department of Sociology and Anthropology and the Department of Social Work. And the goal of this series is to address some of the collective griefs that we've experienced because of COVID-19. And it's, it's a three-part series, so there's three different speakers. The first presentation was uh, February 23rd, so that was uh, yesterday. We've got another one coming up March 16th, and that will be Doug Smith. And he'll be talking about the different ways of grieving and different ways of healing, and we'll hear a little bit from him shortly about what he hopes people take away from that. And then on March 30th, we have Erica uh, Srinvansen talking about supporting grieving students and communities. All of the speaker series that take place from 6 to 7.30 p.m. over Zoom. And as I mentioned, yeah, Doug Smith, he is a lead instructor for the University of Wisconsin's Grief Support Specialist Certification Program. And he served and trained over 700 professionals in 39 states and 14 countries. So when it comes to, to grief and the way that collectively we grieve, Doug Smith was a very huge pool of energy for that. Our writer of this piece sat down with him to talk about the different ways we grieve and, and how that how COVID-19 has, has really exacerbated that. So let's, uh, let's tune in and hear what he has to say. Uh, I think it, it always helps um, when we're sad or when we're suffering that uh, to be able to express that to be able to be told that um, others are experiencing it, that it's not abnormal, uh, it's, um, it's everywhere. And we can, uh, I think, uh, in realizing that it's normal, I don't feel as bad about it. And then also the more we talk about it, the more we can share resources and the more we can uh, find uh, comforting stories of how people are dealing with the grief in a positive way. Um, but just, I, I think, uh, no, no matter what problems we have, that if we can talk to others that uh, have that like problems, that that helps us in our own coping. Yeah, I think that what he, what Doug says there is is really applicable, right? No matter what sort of grief that we may be experiencing, knowing that we're not alone in these uh, grief is is really important, especially when it pertains to COVID nineteen, where you're not just dealing with grief of death, you're dealing with grief from you know financial insecurity and uh, social grief, seeing other people you know wearing masks. It does it does you know play a factor into how we we feel as a society and and i think it's really important and i'm glad that um he touched on 
this that it's okay to <laughs> grieve and it's it's okay to be feeling what we're feeling around COVID-19 uh, because we're all feeling it collectively, especially as college students, we fall under the, a lot of the same categories there, right? <laughs> we felt this in a lot of similar ways. So yeah, I'm really glad that he touched on that in the multiple facets that come with that. Yeah, I think it, it's a bit ironic coming together in a time of grieving in a pandemic because we can't actually come together. We're all suffering and mental health as a whole for college students has really tanked. And I don't think that's a number that people are really reporting on. I mean, I just looked up the numbers because I remember, I think a couple days ago, President Fritz Erickson put out an email uh, titled, Remembering the 500,000. Last I checked, we were at 300,000 and that was December 14th, I believe. We were at 300,000 deaths total for COVID. Within two months, we've hit 500,000. And I saw that and I was just baffled. I didn't see that coming at all. I thought that we were still around 300,000. So, I mean, there's so much to grieve over and it's it's a lot to deal with. And I think that this is really important because we need to know that it's okay to come together in a safe manner, obviously, virtually, whatever means we can, and just be together and be there for each other. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's just a lot to deal with right now. I mean, especially for not just us as college kids, but everyone going through this. Because, I mean, it's tough for, like, say, a 20-something-year-old kid. Like, I would say they were kids. You know, hey, you know, just come on, you got this. You know, to get through it, it's tough to say. And it's tough for everybody at this point. And it's like when you talked about, you know, we got to share with each other and talk to each other. It's just really that's just for everything. I mean, that's just um, not just COVID grief, any grief, anything you need, anything, any emotions, you keep them inside is when bad things happen eventually to physically or otherwise. But um, I just think we just got, everyone got to stick together. Like you said, Peter, I like that. You said that I mean, everyone's sticking together and getting through this, like we've been doing for, well, we're getting close to, obviously COVID's been in the United States longer than a year, but since we shut down, it's been almost a year, a full year. And we're, we're all here talking this podcast and there's 500,000 people who wouldn't be able to. So you got to remember those people. I think really the message is, is keep being vigilant. Yeah, I'm really thankful that sociology department and anthropology and social work department are working together to host this speaker series. Because like Peter mentioned, this isn't a topic that's being, at least I personally feel, discussed enough. And, and something that I, I was, was mentioned in the piece that I think we should touch on as well is Smith talked about wanting to give students a tool belt of things to work with and, and ways to cope with this grief. And I think that that could be really helpful to anybody, even if you haven't lost a loved one because of COVID-19. There's still, like you're also touching on, Travis, we, we need to learn to cope through all things with each other. And I really hope that, uh, you know, the speaker series gives people that opportunity. Following, like I mentioned, following um, Doug Smith's talk on March 16th, there'll be another talk on March 30th by Erica Srinvenson. And she's going to be talking about supporting grieving students and communities. This is a, a very, very important thing. Very thankful that we've teamed up to do this. I think this is in, invaluable, really, to NMU students. And I hope that anyone who attends takes away and adds to their own toolbox of, of grieving and helps us all through these very trying times. And like I'd mentioned, anybody interested in attending that event, uh, it is a Zoom event. You can find more information um, at nmu.edu slash sociology and anthropology slash events. Um, and you'll see the Grief Education Speaker Series there. 
And now shifting focus from COVID-19 grief to a student who's been showcasing his art locally in the community. Peter, can you share a little bit about that piece? So this week I had uh, the fortune to meet with Ali Davis. He is a junior in art design major at NMU. And he's, his work is very inspired by Shepard Ferry and Emery uh, Douglas, who are both activist artists. They do a lot of illustrative work. Emery Douglas was a member of the Black Panther Party and did a lot of graphic design for them. And uh, Ali was fortunate enough to be able to get his artwork featured at Contrast Coffee, and it's also for sale there. He also does a lot of work within the community too. He raises money, he sells his art to raise money for organizations, local organizations. He makes a very big point of supporting community and being close with community. And uh, I have a little bit of uh, some word from him about what he does. There's a lot of different groups that uh, need more attention and need more help from just everybody. And, you know, we're all not Superman, so we can't do everything, but at least if we can lend our voice or, you know, anything else to help them out. That's why I try to run like fundraisers and things too, like around my art. And I try to donate it, donate it and such as well. Um, I try to do as much as I can um, just to help those things. And it doesn't necessarily have to always be about money. It can just be the time and just looking at it and talking about it. I think it's really cool how he talks about his art as a way of, of helping the community's voice and helping build community. I think especially, you know, during these times where we're seeing uh, further polarization in communities, you know, right, left, and different ideologies, seeing seeing somebody want to use their art to bring people together and help lift voices up, that's, it's very encouraging, especially through these COVID times. Uh, I think it's, it's really, really speaks, speaks very loud to our community here that, you know, he's able to get his art placed in contrast coffee and, and have that platform where it can, cannot just be, you know, like he said, you know, it's not always about money. It's not always a financial incentive, but it's yeah. also about the dialogue that art creates. Uh, and, and it's just, it's cool. I, I'm very happy that there's a place where his artwork is on displayed right now in the public that even if you don't have money to buy a piece, you could go and see and, and appreciate it there. And yeah, this, it's really, really cool uh, that he's, he's doing this and using it as a way to help build community. I think that's really, really important right now. Yeah, to go along with that, I mean, it's really, really, it, it was interesting to me to hear what he was doing with his art. And honestly, it was pretty fun to listen to what he had to say about it because it's like something you don't, I'm not sure I really ever heard of much happening. And it's just impressive. Like he's trying to, you know, kind of write, like show his art off, but at the same time, you know, he's there for the community and it's just a nice, like, nice touch for someone who's like you said his arts in different spots I mean it's pretty nice to for him to be able to do this and to bring community involved as well I think I just I really appreciate how he wants to be more than what people define him as he told me a story about uh, one of his ex-girlfriends and how uh, she failed to inform her father that he was black and he went to her house and suddenly he's being, or she was being thrown racial slurs by her father towards her to not spend time with him anymore. And he told me that he doesn't want his work defined by situations like that. Like his work is more than that. And he is more than that. And that's something that I really firmly believe that, you know, his work deserves as much credit as anybody else's work. And to define someone by that is just not okay. 
And I think that he does an excellent job of portraying a message that is more than that. Like he, he really is more than, you know, another name. He's, he's somebody who works to create and is important. Well, and, and that's just so important right now, uh, especially given the, the climate, political climate, having, having somebody who's not just trying to make money off a piece of artwork and actually trying to build something like community and, and raise dialogue on issues. It's so, so important. And I think that this benefits really everybody in Marquette. It's super, super cool. And Peter, where can you said Contrast Coffee is where people Yes, can we can find his work at Contrast Coffee. He also has an Instagram page. Uh, his Instagram is demone.png. That's D E M O N E.png, where you can find a lot of his artwork there as well. Thank you, Peter. I look forward to reading the full piece and excited to see what other issues he touches on. Awesome. Thank you, Peter. Now, switching focus from features and moving on to the world of sports. Uh, the Wildcat hockey team played Bowling Green this past weekend in a, in a two-game series. And Travis, you've got a little bit of information about that, huh? Yeah, so um, in the first game, the NMU hockey team, they tied 0-0 of Bowling Green, went to overtime, neither team could still score, so they went to a shootout. And the shootout, you don't even get, like, the win for the shootout, but you get two, three, you get three points in the standings if you win the game outright, but you won the shootout, you get overtime, you get two. And Northern won the shootout 1 0. They scored the only eight goal in quotations of the night and won that game or won, got two, two or three points. Bowling Green got one. But then Sunday's game was a lot different, a lot of scoring. In the first period, it was two to one Bowling Green. Northern tied it up two to two in the second period, but then Bowling Green took the lead back. It was three to two after two periods. Third period got away from Northern a lot, and Bowling Green scored three more goals in the 6 2 final score. So Bowling Green took four or six points from Northern. Not series, and you know, there's one more series left in the regular season with Michigan Tech this weekend, Friday in Houghton and Saturday in Marquette. So it's gonna be pretty big. Head coach Grandpa Tony talked after the game, and he just said that he didn't feel his team didn't just didn't have it that night against Bowling Green. And here's him talking about that. Yeah, they're they're really you know they're obviously disappointed, and you know, and athletes always know if they gave their best effort, and um, you know, I think sometimes. Um, you know, you, you just, you know, you don't have it and we didn't have it tonight and they know it. Um, they're obviously very disappointed about it. Um, but it's, it's the time of the year that, you know, there's not, you know, a whole bunch of time left to be tinkering and changing. And, um, you know, we're, we're in a position that, you know, we got two regular season games left and the playoffs are here. So, um, you know, obviously disappointed and you got to feel that tonight and you got to wear it, but you got to turn the page and, you know, be ready to, you know, try to get back after it on Tuesday and, and build a little confidence through practice and, um, you know, hopefully have a good finish to the season, regular season. Okay. Coach Graham, it's only talking about his team's, I don't want to say effort, but just his team's performance really against Bowling Green. I mean, just I'll pass over to you guys. What do you guys think about what he had to say? Yeah, I think it's always tough, you know, when, when you're so close to the end of the season to, to feel the momentum of games and, and keep that going. And it's hard when you've, you've lost these two games and you're going into the last regular series season before playoffs and you, and you get defeated like this. I think that's hard for anyone. And also, from my understanding, Travis, this was the first game, the game that they allowed students inside the arena. Is that correct? 
Yeah, it was. And it was um interesting scene for sure to see people spread out. Usually when the in normal times when seems like eight eighty years ago now, but um when they'd have the student section, you know, of, of at the games and their the place was full. But now this is the, all the seats we have their students spread around. It'd be about a couple in a section. There wasn't many, there wasn't a lot of people in there, but it was just cool to see that there was people there, students were there to be able to watch the game and um you know, didn't 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 feel the same. It still felt like there was really not a lot of people there, just because of you know the, there's not as much people. There's no band. It just didn't. Still felt like it has been going to these games with fans, but it was just nice to see other faces in the in the arena. Yeah, and I think that's very interesting. You mentioned that it's quite not quite the same. You were like you said, it's not the same atmosphere, which might have helped them get a home home field advantage in this situation. Um, it's, that's, it's tough, right? That's, it's hard not being able to play in front of anybody and finally having a small group of students. Um, it's it, you're very exciting. Yeah. I'm just, I'm sure it's like you said, just not quite the same for them either. I mean, it's really got to affect morale when you think about it. I mean, you're, you're going from a very dedicated fan base, you know, we, I've, I've always gone to hockey games and it's always been so loud and to just go there and it be silent, that's really got to hit on your morale, even if it's not because you're bad, but because COVID and it's quiet because of COVID. I mean, and they've had a really tough season. And I'm wondering if without fans, that might play into a factor or that might be a factor of it. And I don't, I don't, I mean, heading into playoffs, you know, we're, we're going against a team that we've been dominated by this season and it's got to be tough entering that, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think the one thing that might help Northern is the fact that other teams don't have fans either, just for the fact that it's just not not them only, but at the same time, with the home home ice advantage like Northern has with its fans, it's still tough. Been, it's probably been a tough all season to really replicate because of just the noise, like you said, of what the, like the crowd makes, you know. But um, yeah, Michigan Tech has beat Northern all four times this season, and going back to last year, they won five or six. So in the last. 10 games, text one nine. So it's going to be, they're going to, they're going to going back to last year. So they're going to have to see if they can turn that around this weekend, but um, they're in decent shape. You know, everything's, they can still get eight teams, all eight, because both Alaska schools aren't playing this year. So all the eight teams will make the tournament and it just Northern get a top four seed. They can be at home and they've got, they've got a chance to do it against tech. They can take care of their own business. If not, they might need some help, but it'll be interesting to it'll be interesting to follow the standings here as we get down the stretch yeah absolutely do you think that they have a a good shot with this playoffs when you know being able to start at a fresh slate kind of in a way yeah i think so i I just think if they can be at home that'll help i mean going on the but i mean like coach patoni talked about it on monday's press monday's press conference that was sunday night the clip after the game but then monday afternoon at his press conference Monday morning, I should say, he talked about, um, you know, he's, he's expecting there's going to be road teams who win in the first round of the tournament. So it's not like if they don't get the first round home series not in, in the world because everyone, Mankato is clearly the best team in the conference, number one by uh, easily. After that, two through six, he said, are pretty, pretty even right now. I think that group would be Northern, Bowling Green, Michigan Tech, Bemidji State, would be in that group. So um, I think though all those teams are so close to each other right now. And that's what's and like Spear State too. I'm sorry, I forgot them. But yeah, I think that group's so close that it's gonna be right down the stretch, it's gonna be interesting to watch, I think. So what do you think is gonna happen coming to these tech games? 
Well, NMU has been a completely different team because um, they got they added the freshman goalie Rico DiMatteo or DiMatteo. I really don't know how to pronounce the name. I'm so sorry, Rico, if you do hear this podcast, but um, because it's hard to hear the uh, hard to hear the I call him we call him Rico because it's easier, but we hard to hear the announcer sometimes. But um, yeah, he's he's just been exceptional really for freshmen to step in, and then Nolan Kent, their starting goalie originally, all for the season of an injury. So Rico's stepped in since early February. He's started every game. Yeah, obviously, they're in there sometimes you give up a lot of goals, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily all your fault. I mean, you got six players on the team out there at once, five, but you got five beside yourself. So, I mean, it's always the whole team to for goals. But, I mean, he's been doing a good job, and they've been different. They've been a different team. So, I just want to see how – because Tech's goal is very good in Blake Piedel. I just want to see how with Rico now. I want to see how Northern – goes at them this weekend. It'll be interesting to see. And I'll be there Saturday night to check it out. All right. Thank you, Travis. Well, that rounds up our stories for the week. We appreciate you tuning into the Northwind podcast. If you're interested in listening to our previous episodes or want to hear more, you can tune in at our SoundCloud, the Northwind, uh, on Anchor, also the Northwind podcast, and on Spotify under the Northwind podcast. We appreciate you tuning in and I hope you have a wonderful weekend.